Today, we talk about one of my favorite portrait composites. Let's dive in. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. From conception to completion and all those choices that they make in between, as always, there is a blog post for this episode. You can find it up at the website. It's at behindtheshot.tv. Of course, any links that we mention, there's a small sample gallery of their work there as well. Uh, so again, just head up to behindtheshot.tv. Also, all the links that we mention are in in the description on YouTube, right down below the like and subscribe buttons. I want to get into today's show really quick. And the reason is the shot that we're going to talk about today, which we'll get to later in the show, is one of my favorite portrait composites. And I'll explain why as we go through. First of all, I'd like to welcome to the show portrait photographer Paul Mobley. Paul, how are you? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure. We've been working on getting this show together for a while. I'm excited to finally have you here. And I like to start with a little getting to know my guest section. And, and I explained to you in the green room, part of my reasoning that I always do this is because we're about to dissect what I think is a fantastic shot. And I want people to understand why they should listen to the person that's in front of me. And I want to start here. I introduced you as a portrait photographer. But the truth is you're way more than a portrait photographer. And, and even there, you're not your typical portrait photographer. You are a sought after corporate and advertising and editorial photographer. When you meet somebody, we were talking in the green room about uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. When, when you meet somebody at a cocktail party and they say to you, Paul, what do you do? How do you describe what you do? I normally tell people that I am a entertainment advertising photographer. And they'll usually say, what does that mean? And then, you know, I usually direct them to my website or say, I take pictures of people that interest me for various entertainment clients. Yeah, that's a good summary. Now you say entertainment clients though, which does kind of lead into this point, which is this is going to be a, probably a stronger term than it should be. You seem to specialize in celebrities. That is such a, a unique niche, right? Uh, my friend Ian Spanier does that as well. But when was that something as you were doing your photography and getting started and building up your clientele and getting to the level that you're at, was that an area you aimed at or did it just happen or... Not at all. I started actually as a fashion photographer. Um, as soon as I started my career, uh, I went to New York, did the starving artist apprentice thing, and then uh, really was looking for anybody who would hire me. And the first job that I actually got was a catalog similar to Macy's, and it was for shooting lots of fashion. But uh, as I've spoken about many times, I've, you know, kind of the reason I got into photography was because of Irving Penn. I had admired his work from the very, very beginning um, when I was in college, uh, going to school for photography and really wanted to be him. And so in my mind, I always wanted to shoot portraits of people that interested me and whether they were young, old, famous, not famous. And, you know, when you start out, you have to pay the bills. So you almost take anything 
you know, to put food on the table and pay the rent and, you know, hope that you can continue to work towards what you really want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. There, you know, it's funny. I was looking through your website before I have a guest on, I always go through their website kind of in detail. I was looking through your website and I saw something on your about page that was intriguing to me. There's a, there's a quote in there that says that you like visiting Michigan to eat your mother's Italian cooking. Where in Michigan? I grew up right outside of Detroit, and my mother, God bless her, who's 92 years old, is still there. I come from a strong Italian family, and um, there's nobody better than, you know, we kind of have a ranking. My grandmother was the best cook. (laughs) She passed, and now it's my mom, and so on and so forth. But um, nobody cooks better than my mom. I spent three years in Detroit. I, I've been in radio for 43 years. I was at WCZY in Detroit with Dick Purton, if you know who Dick Purton is. Um, I do. Depending on on what years you were in Detroit, uh, my, my ex-brother-in-law was Robin Seymour, who was well, well known in the 60s and 50s and 60s in radio and television there. And just went back last year, year before, because we hadn't been for a while and uh, still love that town. Yeah, that's great. So many good friends there, and I'm so happy that it's kind of, you know, the rebirth and the football, and it's all good. I'm really, really The new happy. stadium down there, too, Little Caesars uh, Arena, I should say, is fantastic. We went and saw a hockey game while we were there. So there's a point during shows where I usually list some example clients that my guest has had. And here's the problem. I looked through your website and I wouldn't even know where to start with you. It seems as though you have worked with the best way to describe your client list is it seems that you've worked for almost every A-list celebrity musician and corporate client that there is. Seriously, the, the list on your site is insane. I'm kind of curious without naming names. Have you ever had that, you know, amazing client that you just went, okay, that's the best client I've ever had. Um, there's been a few in my career, you know, I always call it the lucky breaks along the way, uh, where you were at the right place at the right time. But, you know, I, um, I've always been uh, of the mindset that, you know, go to the ends of the earth for your client and, and do the same with your subject and your crew and good things will come from it. So, um, I have really, people ask me all the time, do you have have any horror stories about anybody that was awful when you photographed them? and I, I try really hard, Steve, not to let it get that way. You know, um, I don't come into any shoot with an ego. I just try to be as kind and courteous. And I know I've got to get the picture. And whatever it takes for me to get that picture is 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 what my, uh, you know, my goal is. And, you know, being kind and considerate to everybody uh, is is just the way it works for me. And and such a great outlook. And the funny thing was, one of my questions was going to be, and I'm not going to ask it now, was going to be, has there been a nightmare story again without naming somebody that you could share that people could learn from? But I I kind of like I kind of like leaving it at your attitude of it's to a point at least in your control, and you choose to approach it in a way to not let it get there. I, I have had some tough shoots. Let me let me say that to you. When you're working with especially A-list people, whether they're right. musicians or comedians or politicians, um, sports figures, whatever it may be, 
But again, I, you know, I've always kind of come from this kill them with kindness. And if they're still going to be difficult, then I just do the very best I can um, to get that picture. You know, I, I went to a college in Detroit where I had a, a an old cranky uh, professor that, that really taught us all that, you know, no matter what it takes, you've got to bring home the picture. And uh, if things can go wrong, they will. And so what? You know, if a light goes down, what are you going to do? You just find a way. And that's kind of always been my, uh, been my, you know, mantra is, is I don't worry so much about the equipment as much anymore. I'm more worried about bringing home the picture, especially if I have a subject that I haven't met or I haven't talked to. And, you know, you don't know in many times what you're walking into. So yeah. And, and again, dealing with the type of clientele, the A-list celebrities and musicians, and I deal with, you know, some musicians on my end. Um, yeah. It's amazing the different personalities, the different, you know, I, I try and explain to people, everybody has a vision of themselves. And sometimes that just the vision, not even the person, their vision of themselves is more compatible with what you intend to do than what you, you know, had planned. And you've got to work around that. We're problem solvers to that point. Where did you go to school in Detroit? What was the, the college? It was called Center for Creative Studies. Uh, it's still there. Now they've changed the name to College for Creative Studies, but it's a really wonderful art school in right in downtown Detroit. And some, some great people have come out of there, you know, fashion designers. Uh, it's been there a long time. Great school. So in researching you, there's a couple of things that jumped out at me. One of them is you're an author, you've published four books. And that's always an area to me. I know a, a, a lot of photographers that do books. I got a bunch of them on the shelf here behind me. But it's always interesting to me because I think it says a lot about a photographer, about a creative, that if they're going to publish books, what they choose to publish them on. And you've got four different books. Mm -hmm. uh, American Farmer, The Heart of Our Country, which is the one here in the upper left corner. If I Live to Be 100, The Wisdom of uh, Centenarians. Centenarians, uh, you got it right. Yeah, which is, I, I think that subject matter also is just so cool. I love that you did that. American Firefighters, which really goes well with the American Farmers idea. And then this one also, Everyday Heroes, 50 Americans Changing the World, One Nonprofit at a Time. I think collectively, the titles and subject matters of these books are are fascinating in that I see them as kind of a window into what you shoot and what I see in your portfolio. Do you think that these, your subject choices here, do you see the connection there to what you shoot? And I'm curious, what draws you to making books? Uh, well, yes, the answer is yes. I, you know, people are people. And to me, a great portrait, uh, which we'll get into, I'm sure has nothing to do with the equipment. For me, I've tried to distance myself from the equipment and really focus on, you know, I have this term that, you know, I try to find the soul of my subject and whether that is talking to them or whether that is, you know, trying to notice things they do in between the pictures, Steve, I, uh, I find people to be fascinating. You know, my father was a great storyteller and loved to tell us stories when we were growing up and so I, you know, in college, I was never interested in photographing cars or photographing still lives or food. 
it was always a people thing to me because I'm curious. I'm curious about how people live their lives and 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 you know what they do to get through the day and what inspires them. And so, in in many ways, uh, you know, the 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 celebrities, the the entertainment world has interesting people. But I'll tell you, when you sit and talk with a 117 year old woman, um, there's some great great. I feel very very blessed that I've been able to be around people that um, not only change the world, but inspire. And um, I mean, I have a story for every picture I've taken and it, it's really changed me as a human being to be around, whether it's a farmer who's really shy about having their picture taken or somebody who has their picture taken every day. You know, it's, it's always a challenge for me, never a dull moment for sure. You, you said something you actually said something to the effect of, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I don't focus on the gear. I focus on delivering the picture and what makes it a picture. Sure. And I do like to ask this question of every guest and you led right into it. And that is what does make a great photo or a better way to word it is what makes a great photo great? Well, to me and, and you know, there, everybody has a different opinion, but the, the age old expression that, um, I want a picture to move me. I want to look at it and stop and like have to look at it again. I don't know if it was Penn or Abaddon, but somebody said some of the greatest photos that were ever made are the ones that leave us with unanswered questions. We want to know more. What a great line, right? So I've always felt uh, when I'm making a picture, I, I want it to last. You know, I, I want somebody to look at an image and say, Wow, I remember that picture that Paul took of so and so because it was such a moment, uh, a powerful moment. And so, me, I think it's got to stop you, and it you, you've got to think about if it stirs you up in some way, whether it's the look in their eyes or their expression or their shoulder position. Um, to me, I, I I always know when I'm doing my editing. Uh, I feel like what is a picture that that just shows me as an artist, because uh, there's certain pictures that people look at it and I'll say, oh, that's great. But it for me, I, I've gotten to a point after doing this, I know what I feel like, like what I want it to be. But I think it's got to move you. It's got to stir you up emotionally. Uh, and to me, if we do that, it's great. We did a good job. And it's interesting because that's kind of the, the, the uh, argument, the equipment, I don't want to say doesn't matter, but that it's about the photo, not the equipment. I I'm old enough to have grown up shooting film cameras and not as a photographer, wasn't a photographer. It was my life. I grew up at a time when digital didn't exist. And so I shot film cameras and I tell people all the time, the most iconic images of my life are noisy as hell. And yet today we're all complaining about you know, noise at 6,400 ISO, which is nothing compared to what the most iconic images of my life have. The most iconic, iconic images of my life were shot with no autofocus, with, you know, 32, maybe 16 shots in the camera. Yeah. And these people got images that nobody looks at and sees flaws. People look at and find magic in these images and now we have the added benefit of that gear. I'm not saying don't use the gear, but I, I kind of, 
I kind of love that idea that you you discuss, and that is that it's it's got to move you. As 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 I look through your portfolio, I do this with every guest. I look for common themes in their in their website. And for you, actually, you know what? Before I say what I see, I'm curious. If you think back on your body of work, do you see any common threads in your photo photos? Oh, I do. And and I have to tell you just to to uh, add on to what you just spoke about. When I was very young in my career in New York, I was in that equipment phase, wanted to get all the expensive gear and had to have all the lenses. And I remember going in to see who's really become a dear friend of mine, who at the time was an art director at Vanity Fair. And he was looking at my portfolio and I could tell he wasn't very impressed. And I said to him, he's looking at the picture and I said, you know, I used this camera with this lighting and that lens and you know, he looked at me and he said, I'm going to give you some good advice. And I said, what? He said, I don't care what you use. He said, most people that are going to hire you do not care one bit about the equipment you used. If one picture here was taken with the most expensive equipment money could buy, and this one here was taken with a shoebox with a hole in it, this one with the shoebox moves me stirs me up. This one is lifeless, but the expensive equipment, I'm hiring the guy with the shoebox. And from that day, Steve, I just really had to wean myself off of what kind of camera, what do you need? It is, I almost think of myself in many days like a surgeon. If I'm a good surgeon, it's my hands. All I need is my scalpel. And, and so for me, if something good is going on on set with, with the relationship I have with my subject, I almost think of, hand me the camera. I just need this to record the magic that's going on between us. It's nothing more than a recording device to capture the moment that we've created the interaction, that human connection between me and the subject. So um, you're, to your point, and to anybody listening, Cameras are great. Uh, I mean, what they do today is unbelievable to me. But if there's no soul and no life in that picture, I don't care if you've got, you know, a 300 megapixel camera. I'm not going to look at it. It doesn't matter to me. It, it's funny because so I, I'm a music photographer. And the analogy I say to people sometimes is Eddie Van Halen could have walked into a pawn shop and picked up a $35 nylon string guitar and blown your mind because he was an artist. And you can get the most amazing entertainer of any generation on a stage. Yeah. And if the crowd is dead, they are no longer the most amazing entertainer. They feed off the energy from the crowd. And in doing what I do, there are photographers I know that for whatever reason couldn't get a media credential for a show, so they're not in the photo pit. They buy a ticket, they go up to the front of the crowd, they're allowed to bring in a point and shoot. And you know what? Some of them with that point and shoot get better pictures than some of the pros that were in the photo pit. The angle might be better, whatever. And it's the same argument today over phones. No, I'm not going to use a phone to shoot a concert professionally. But there are some times when you grab that phone and you snap a shot and there are commercial shots that have been made on phones. 
So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So what, what's the common theme that you see in your work? Um, I think it's, it, I, I, I tend to use the word power and impact uh, a lot because I want my pictures to be powerful. I, I've always kind of had that, whether I'm photographing a woman or a man, I, I'm kind of thinking in my mind, boy, I, uh, the ultimate is if they feel it's the best picture that they've ever had made of themselves. Or someone will say, oh, Paul took that picture. I can tell. And really that is, I think, if, if there was one secret sauce uh, photographers um, should try to strive for, it's to, to get a look, right? It's, it's to get to a point with your images where people can say, oh, I know who shot that. And then it, it's kind of like your recipe, right? And um, so for me, I tend to really, I don't like to do the same thing all the time, Steve, but I also want to make sure that it's my vision. I'm not a flavor of the month photographer when I see guys doing, you know, creative crazy gels. And then the next six months later, that's out. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a musician, as you said, stay true to what you love to sing and write. And hopefully, you know, the world will come to you. So when I look at your work, I definitely see your photographic voice, right? In all of your work, Thank I you. see a thread. And what's interesting is my thread that I see in your work, and this may or may not make sense to you. I don't know. Yeah. But there's almost, there's almost a, um, there's like a relaxed playfulness. Even in your serious shots, there's there's this relaxed, uh, like I can imagine being on the set. And that's what I take away from your work is that I, I, I wish I could have been over his shoulder during this shoot because even again, if it's, you know, this strong, you know, serious pose, there's something in it that that strikes me as the entire shoot was relaxed and comfortable and playful. And I love that. I get that from your work, including the Thank shot you. that we're going to talk about today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's true. I try to, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, we've talked a little bit about comics or we're going to talk about comics and laughter. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a, household that liked to laugh and be happy. And, you know, I was very blessed to work with Norman Lear, um, who did the foreword for my centenarian book. And, uh, you know, Norman and I spoke about the importance of having a daily laugh and, and how he believed that having a belly laugh every day would add years to your life. And it's, it's totally true. It's totally true. You know, yeah, and, totally um, agree. So yeah, I do like what you know. I do like to keep everything fun and happy, and it's just it's better. It's better. I've been on a lot of sets, especially when I was assisting back in the day, where there was tension and yelling and screaming, and you know that just doesn't work for me as a creator to 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 make the kind of work I want to make when when the when that environment is like that. Yeah, makes total sense to me. So before we get into the the photo that we're going to talk about here, 
Just a quick reminder for you, this show is first and foremost really a podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts in audio only or video format. And you can find all the shows up at BehindTheShot.tv if you're watching on video. I just put the lower third up there. I'll throw it up there again for you so that you can easily find it. Or actually, there we go. Throw it up like that for you. Head up to BehindTheShot.tv. Every episode has a blog post with it that gives you information about my guest, a small sample gallery of their work. And again, if you are watching this on YouTube, all the links and all the information is down in the description down below the like and subscribe buttons. I want to get into today's image. And I mentioned at the start of the show that this, this multi-shot composite of a portrait, portraits of, of a person is one of my favorite ones that I've seen. This is a multi-shot composite of the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. Did I pronounce his name correct? Sebastian Maniscalco, yep. Maniscalco, okay. So yep. there are so many reasons that I love this photo that we'll kind of get into as we go through, but I always like to start with the the, the more technical stuff. I'm assuming, first of all, what body did you shoot these with? This was taken with a Hasselblad uh, 60 digital body of 50 megapixels. I think it was a 6050C. Okay. And do you know what lens this was? Yes. Um, I did this actually two different ways, but one was the 80. I love to work with a standard lens on any camera, just called the normal lens. And I also had a zoom that I was floating back and forth with. I think it was the 15 to 35 or Maybe it's a 15 to 90. Okay. So clearly studio shoot. Uh, white clearly. balance set to manual or do you manually set your white balance? I mean, um, white I, balance set to I, auto or do you manually set it? I manually set it. Okay. What would you have set it at here? Do you know? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I typically like to keep everything right, right dead in the middle. And, you know, I find in, in many cases, depending on a person's skin tone, um, I'm either going to stay true to it in post or I might change it a little bit if they've had too much sun. But I, I try to keep it right right in the middle. Okay. Do you know what your exposure was on these? I do. Um, this was about, uh, I tend to, when I'm shooting flash, 125. And these, uh, I love to stay in the middle of the lens when I can. So these were about f eleven. And what about ISO? Always 200 when I can. Okay, so 200 ISO, 1, 1, 1 125th, and F11. So, okay, a couple of questions. The F11 makes total sense to me. Yep. The 200 makes sense to me. The 125th, especially when you look at this shot, there's clearly movement. Like, I, I, I don't believe that he got, especially that back right or the back left, the, the far back corners. I don't believe that he like froze that way to make sure there was no motion blur and all of these are tack, right? Yep. Do you worry that the 125th was not fast enough ever? No, because I tend to keep my flash units, um, I don't run them at full power. So I tend to leave them at, you know, as, as, as light as I can keep them, you know, half power if I can get away with it. And, and the, 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 the freeze flash is, is plenty enough. I mean, even when somebody's dancing, I, I might go to 160, but I tend to keep my flash units um, just powered low. 
Okay, that makes sense. So before yep. we before we dive into how you made this thing in your story of this shot, for those of you that are yep. on the audio feed, I'm going to try and describe this to you, but understand there's nine photos in this one photo, right? So it's a nine-shot horizontal composite of the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. And when I say it's a horizontal shot, this is a pano of an extreme ratio. I measured it, and it's roughly 265 to 1 on the ratio. And that's part of what makes it work to me. It's all on a white background. He's wearing the exact same tux in each shot with, you know, like a black tux with a white shirt and a black bow tie. And he is doing in each individual image, he's doing, I don't even want to call it a pose, but it's almost like action. I'll get into that in a second here. Each pose is, it's expressive. They're bold, right? And the first thing I notice when I look at this shot, and part of the reason I love it, is the balance. There's nine shots, one center shot that's super close to us. And his position and his angle, he's turned slightly sideways, squatted down, one hand out in front. His eyes are big, wide open. He's looking right down the barrel of the lens. And that sets the stage for this. And then each shot, so to his left and right is another shot where I'm going to say he's smaller. He's not, but they are back farther. And, And the first thought that hit me when I saw this, picture this if you're driving in your car right now, was picture... Uh, the Air Force and a squadron of planes don't fly all on the same horizontal plane, right? You have a front man and then they angle back like an arrow or a wing. And that's what this is doing to me. And it adds power to this shot that I just absolutely dig because as they go back, each shot of him gets perspectively smaller. He's not smaller, but perspective wise, he's smaller. Each pose is different. And those poses are key with that center one being the biggest looking right at us, eyes wide. But then left and right, he's also kind of less standing up. So by the time you get to those far back shots, there's the two right behind him there, he's standing more, but then he starts squatting more, more and more. And so that, that, that accentuates that distance and perspective view. So at the back, he's really, really squatting and each individual image of Sebastian slightly overlaps the one behind it. It can be a hand, it can be a foot, it can be a knee, it could be an elbow or a head, but not overly done, which is brilliant, right? These aren't so close. There's white space in between them. And because his poses are different, to me, the lighting here is so important. Like if one of those shots, three shots back, the shadows didn't match the guy in the front, that would kill me. They all blend and match here. The lighting, the color, there are shadows under his feet. Sometimes it's just a foot, depending on how far his foot is off the, on or off the ground. Other times it's more an entire body shadow. Here's the thing. The expressions that I get remind me, they feel like he's mid standup. So from this combination of nine shots, I actually feel like I know what his act would be like. And that to me is so important. You said early on that when you take a shot, you have a story for every shot you take, I think is the way you worded it. 
Yes. And there's a story here. There's nine individual photos of Sebastian. It's nine individual stories, but it's not right. The, the reason I think this is such a brilliant multi-shot portrait composite is because these perfectly assemble to make a unified singular story. That's the way I interpret it. Did I miss anything in describing this? Um, you, you hit it right on the head when you said it was his act, because that's exactly, Steve, what I asked him to do. Um, oh. whenever, I, whenever I photograph somebody, it's, it's always good for me to do my research, watch them, listen to their music, watch their stand up. And, you know, Sebastian is really expressive. And, you know, I've seen him live numerous times way before I photographed him. And he's, his hands are great. His body language is great. His feet are great. So essentially, you know, we, we did a couple of different setups on this shoot. But when we got to this point, I almost let him loose, you know, um, and just let him go and started to just tell me stories. And I started to get him more excited. And, and as he got into it, it was literally he gave me a one man comedy show. Hold on. You mean he really literally good. was he was he wasn't just doing these as poses. He was literally telling you. Oh, doing an one act. story after the next. And. You know, when you oh. talked about wanting to be over my shoulder, Steve, I was dying. You know, thank God for autofocus today because every single thing he said, I was laughing, tearful laughing. He's, you know, and, you know, I told him I was Italian. He's Italian. We got into all of that stuff with his dad and my mother and my family. And, but he really um, started to talk about you know, the extremes. Did he really do that? And oh my God, why would you do that? And and I kept egging him on, you know, to keep going and going. And, you know, this image has nine frames in it. But when I tell you I could have made this with 50, he was, there were that many great images. Um, and, and basically he just stood on that white backdrop and went at it. And I said, you know, just kind of act as if there's an audience. Don't look at me all the time. Look out as if you're addressing that side. And look, you know, because I kind of had it mapped out in my mind a little bit. I like to do these composites, and I've done plenty of them. They're not always the same. Uh, you know, they're not always the same. Uh, you know, they're not always the same co composition, but. Uh, you know, I this kind of goes back to um, this is almost a modern day contact sheet. If you think about it, Steve, you yeah, know, I was yeah. fortunate. I was fortunate enough to shoot film and I still do take a film camera with me every time an old medium format Pentax six by seven. And it's more of a uh, conversation starter than it is anything. But, uh, you know, I would love back in the film days to to shoot a contact sheet look at the film and i'd print the whole contact sheet i mean i've got plenty of them hanging in my house of you know gilbert godfrey and different people that you know gave me one crazy expression i just print the whole contact sheet 16 by 20 
and they're fantastic. So this is kind of a modern day context sheet if you think about it, because it's really hard when you have a subject as good as Sebastian to use one image. You know, he's just, every picture's great. So if you want to tell kind of a, a story for me about who he is, this is the best way to do it or print a contact sheet, but this is kind of a modern, modern day contact sheet, really. I, I'm intrigued by shots like this on a number of levels. One of them is that planning point of view. And you you made the con the comment that you kind of had this vision in your mind ahead of time. So when you say that, you mean you kind of knew that you might do a composite or were going to do a, a composite of multiple images. Did he know that? I'm pretty sure somewhere in the middle I had said I might thread these together because there's so many good ones. You know, I I knew I wanted to do a, a composite like this because I've done so many. Sometimes there's only three images. Sometimes there's six. It's just to me how it pieces together. But I, I you know, I was sketching and doodling before. Um, you know, I always kind of make a shot list. You know, a musician will make a set list. And right. sometimes I'll do a shot list. and you know, got to get this, hope to get that. If I get all of those and let's try this. Um, and, you know, you, another thing that I love to talk about is, you know, a, a photo shoot to me is almost like getting on a roller coaster. You know, you start and you, you try to get something going and here comes the car, it's going up the hill and you're starting to get some good action and energy from your subject. And then all of a sudden you're right up here and it's just and everything's great, every picture's good. Um, and then it starts to go back downhill and the shoot's over, right? This was at the top of the roller coaster, no question. He was going crazy and, you know, I was just every shot, you know how when you get it, just every shot was great. So you made the comment you could have done 50, which begs the question then, what made you choose nine instead of five, instead of three? What was your, when, when you're assembling this, what made you pick nine? I think it started with probably 20 and narrow time. I think real estate, Steve, that's probably a good choice of words is, you know, if you're going to put a, a composite of even more than nine, 15, 20, if, if somebody's looking at that picture on your website on a phone, you're, you're right. done, you know? Um, so for me, and, and if you were going to hang this in your house, it better be awfully big too. So I think a lot of it has to do with, for me, it started obviously with the poses that I felt fit together best. But um, I think a lot of it had to do with real estate too. It's just, I didn't want him to be too small where you couldn't see every expression and the brilliance behind all of his, his features, you know, and his, uh, everything he did. And the, and the other reason this works is because you didn't oversaturate him in it. There is, in this case, this phrase actually fits, but you can use this on, on any kind of graphic design term. There's white space, right? There is room for each individual image to breathe its own life. And again, the perspective on this, the varied poses add layers of interest, right? And then what a lot of people would have done, I think, I guess I can't speak for other people, but I can imagine other people trying to assemble something like this and thinking, okay, well, the feet need to be on the same horizontal plane, which would have hurt the shot. 
the fact that his feet rise as they go back adds to the perspective of the room that these nine people are supposedly in and adds to that feeling. But then the back one's not reaching the head height of the front one. All of this three-dimensional layering really works. When, when you're setting this up and he's doing his act and you're, you're kind of um, in post and you're assembling it, right? There's nine different, I don't want to call them poses, but I'm going to. They're not poses, right? He's moving in, in real life, but I'm going to call them, you know, poses. Moments. Moments. That's a better way to term it. Thank you. Yeah. What went into, in your head, because I actually think this is critical because of those last two, right? So the first two after the middle one, he's mostly standing, which is good because that allows it to get close to that middle one's height so that you can get the right taper. If he'd been squatting yeah. in all of them, that would have gone away. But at, so as you're assembling this, is that what's going, what's going through your head as you're assembling which pose where? Because I can see nine layers in Photoshop being switched around going, nope, not there, not there. W what was your thought process? You know, what looks good? You know, I tend, Steve, not to... to overthink it too much. I mean, sometimes um, it, so many things could be wrong in a picture that I know that the viewer doesn't know and I it moves me and it feels good, so I go with it. This to me is, you know, what feels right? Oh, that hand's not right. You know, it's more like just putting a, a graphic or a, it's, it's really graphic just design. what feels. Yeah, it, it's it's nothing more than Obviously, you don't want the same pose twice. I, I was very concerned about this, that I didn't want them all looking at the camera, even though that I'm very much, that's kind of my thing. Um, I, I don't, I tend, uh, when, I'm, when I'm photographing, I, I tend to try to ask the viewer to look in the lens because I just feel like, you know, there's that connection. It's just part of my work. I don't tend to have a lot of pictures, people looking away um because i want them to look right in the viewer's eyes but in this case i felt like it's got to be it's got to be almost like a a, a, a song right if you right. look at this and and that's really uh for me when i look at this picture it's funny i i see it um it, it takes me right back to the laughter you know and as much as people look at it and love the composition i mean this is who he is he's he's just really great when it comes to expressing whether it's craziness in people's lives or um, just, he's just, you know, a great, great personality. You know, if you look closely, his feet are good. His hands are good. Um, it's it, a lot of people can't put that whole combination together, especially with the, I mean, his facial expressions. Oh my gosh. I mean, he can well, really give you. Like you say, his feet, he he is expressive head to toe. Was this a, yes. by the way, was this a white background or a psych wall? Oh, no, white background. Just a, it was okay. a 12 foot wide white background. Yes. Like normal paper coming down on the ground. Yep. Yep. Okay. So shooting against white, obviously lighting really matters here, right? If yes. somebody wanted to, to try shooting on white, a basic version of this, first of all, what is your lighting setup here? You know, I, I think this, you, the, you know, I was looking back at my uh, shot notes on this and um, 
this is like four lights, um, obviously uh, lights to, to light the white, but I tend to, um, I like to use a deep beauty dish. I actually call it a parabolics, which is a really wonderful, okay. very deep focused, uh, like it's a 45 inch uh, beauty dish, but it's so much more than a beauty dish. And then I will add some supplementary light to that as well. Um, I'm not, as you could probably tell when you look at my work, I don't like soft, flat light. I'm much more of a contrastier, harder light. I just think it's part of the, the bold quality of what I like to do. And so when I'm shooting somebody, like in this case, obviously the lighting had to be consistent, but um, there's still some direct light going on here. And I, I remember we, 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 plastered the floor with silver blankets so there's a lot of bounce light coming up off the floor as oh, well. Oh, interesting. Okay. So your key light from the from judging off the the first shot, the second shot to the right and the next to the last shot on the right. I'm guessing that your key light almost Rembrandtish in that it's probably not quite 45 degrees to the right, a little bit above eye level, is that about right? Perfect. You, you literally, you have it exactly right. And, okay. and the reason for that, Steve, is because if that light is too dramatic or too far to one side, then, you know, your image where he turns away from the light, it's not going to work. So right. I'm not going to shoot flash on camera. It's not my style. However, if you're going to do something like this, you better make sure that your light has a personality. But if he turns way to the left or way to the right, it, it will still work. Okay. And that actually is a good tip for people who want to start trying a multi-shot portrait type composite is that's a good tip for that. And that is make sure that if they turn, the lighting works on any way that they turn. But there is one problem with shooting on white like this, especially when you've got four lights, probably two on the backdrop, maybe a key. Was the was the fourth light left of him or no, right of him, left of camera? Left of camera. So the main light is just to the left of camera and the other light is um, kind of a combination. It, it, call it, a, I don't want to say bounce off the ceiling, but it's just supplementing and softening the shadows off of my the parabolics light, I will call it. Okay, so along with two the in the front, blankets. Yeah, two lights in the front. And then, like I said, for me, um, depending on the silver you use, sometimes I'll use a mirror. Um, but as you know, uh, silver... Um, bright silver, shiny silver can really act as a as an additional light. Um, it, it's kind of like, as you you know what it can do, whether it's a fill or off the floor um, or bouncing into it on the ceiling, which sometimes I'll do. It it's kind of saved my life many many times. How how far in front of the back drop is he? Um, because one of the I issues had... with a white backdrop, obviously, is bleed coming off of that backdrop. Yeah, and wrapping around them. So, how are you controlling that? Is it you know, just his feet, distance? I would say six feet. Yeah, and I tend to put uh, black curtains or black backers to okay. prevent that from happening. But uh, for me, when I shoot on white, I like to try to keep them as separate entities. Uh, for the same reason you said, I don't like when it wraps around. Some people love that, but for me, I want the back to be the back and the front to be the front and. The only way to control that is you know, to try, if you can, to keep your subject as far away from it and 
and to you know prevent as much spill or um, flare coming around as you can. Okay, so when you're in post, what are the, your apps of choice? Pretty much Photoshop. Pretty much, you know, I I tend to I, I will use Bridge and things to edit, but I, I'm I'm a Photoshop person. Okay. And when you're doing composites like this thing, there's overlapping areas. And that's where I see people, like when I do image competitions and shots come up sometimes that I have to judge. And it's like, you know, people, there's no shortcut to zooming in in Photoshop to make sure that your masks are right. Is there a key that you would share with people to get better overlapping areas in a composite like this? You know, not really. I I think that, again, if you're careful, and I work with a lot of post-production people as well, um, depending on if there's something that I can't do or feel like it's done right, or in many cases, a client, Steve, will have, um, I, I will do a, a shoot for a client and the client will clearly say, um, we have our own in-house post people. That's right. always a tricky thing because you know, you lose control uh, in, in some cases. Again, trying to be nice, I will usually ask, hey, can you uh, share with me uh, the steps that go along the way in case I have an opinion? And it, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but but in many cases in the world we live today, if, if you're working for a Warner Brothers or an HBO, they have their in, own in-house people and you can't wrestle away the, the post from them. You know, they, you go in knowing somebody else is right. taking it from you. But for the most part, they do a great job. You know, it might not be exactly how I do it, but. Um, the end result is what matters. Did, did you edit this one or did somebody else? Oh, I edited it. And, and so, the thing is. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What I was going to say was, back in the day, uh, I was—I remember the days going back to film, Steve, that we would um, do this type of work on film, where we would have the studio dark, and I would pop the flash, leave the lens open, cover it, pop it again. So, and, and you'd get almost the same—you know—you weren't—you weren't able to tell exactly where you would end up. But you could do three, four, or five images on one piece of film, and sometimes it was brilliant. You know, you'd have to do it. It was much harder to do. But um, I've been kind of working in this vernacular for a long time, and it's, you know, for the right thing, it's really fun to do. So when you have nine shots like this, I've seen two different schools of thought. Yes. Some people will basically edit color correct each individual in the nine shots assemble them together and then tweak it from there and i know other people who no 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 they all came out of the same camera the same shoot the same raw i'm going to assemble them first and do my color correction etc as the 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 end composited result do you edit each individual photo then assemble and edit more or do you mainly assemble and then do most of your color and edit after I would say both. I start and make sure the color is exactly how I want it. And then 
once the image is together, um, I will look at it and tweak it if I need to. Uh, another thing that I've been doing quite a bit lately is finishing a picture, Steve, and walking away from it. And oh. um, sometimes, meaning it's almost like wine, you let it sit and it's gonna open up and get better. I have learned in the last few years for me, um, I will like a picture um, or I won't like a picture or I'll make an initial select and leave it and just get away from it for a day, a week, whatever it is, if I have that luxury and I come back and, oh my gosh, I can't believe I chose that. Oh my gosh, I didn't like that one at all and now I like it. So um, I tend to pay so much more attention to that part of it than the technical. Um, but it, it's really helped me immensely. I think with my vision is to, if I've got time to turn in my selects or my picks, I'll take that time. I might immediately right. sit down and do that knee jerk. Oh, these five look great, but then come back to it and come back to it again, sometimes three, four, five times. Very similar. Uh, a lot of times I'll edit a shoot and before I send them to anybody, I'll go out and I'll have a glass of whiskey or something, or I'll talk to my wife for a little bit. I'll have her come back in and kind of go through them with me. And inevitably the second time I go through after even just 30 minutes in between, it's like those highlights aren't right. Just the littlest things from a 30 minute difference, because I'm not sitting in front of these screens for a little bit, my eyes change and I, I find that to be refreshing. So I'm guessing that these shadows under his feet were added in post. Is that correct? Yes and no. Um, in you know, one of the qualities of that light I was speaking to you about, I'll call it a beauty dish, parabolics, is you know, I love to see a shadow on white. Um, so I won't blow my background out enough or I will make sure that my main light gives me some shadow because in a picture like this, um, I think the subject has to feel grounded. And if, if, you know, if I were to blow out the background or overfill this shot, he's floating and it doesn't feel as good to me. So I've always right. been a shadow guy, whether it's on gray, light gray, white, I, I like to keep the shadows. I think it grounds the person whether it's a single shot or a multiple. So what might you have done to these shots in post? You know, they're mostly cleanup because he does not need, if you look at him, he's a, you know, handsome guy. Uh, a lot of this is left as is. If, if there's anything, it would be, uh, you know, d raising, making some bigger, some smaller, but, you know, that was a crisp tuxedo. And, and I remember most of the, his hair was great. Uh, did, you know, in this particular case, these did not need much, especially on their own, you know, and I think it's more of just the composition that, that, that was the challenge here was the composition and, and selecting from so many, so many great images of him. Well, I, again, can't stress it enough. Love this shot. So well done. So well assembled and thought out. Tells that story where I feel like I know what his, I've never seen him live, but I feel like I know that, that uh, 
that I understand his routine a little bit from looking at this. So again, thank you so much for sharing how you made this. No problem. I want to switch gears. Before we finish up, I want to do a speed round. Now, when I say speed round, I'm going to ask you a question. Whatever pops into your head, you go with it. Yeah. Okay. So speed round question number one. Top portrait photography tip. Capture the soul of your subject. Find out who they are. Just try to get underneath their skin. Top white background tip. Don't overlight it. Even though it's on white, don't overlight it. Biggest photo mistake you made or almost made? Paying too much attention to the technical and missing what was right in front of me. Wow, that's a good one. Okay. Favorite composition rule if you have one? Think outside the box when cropping. That's something I challenge myself with all the time is um, don't crop it like you think it should be. Try to zoom in and cut the top of the head off. Maybe take the shoulder, move it to the right, move it to the left. You, you might find some real magic in a, a unusual or less expected crop. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I am one of those people that firmly believe a, a single photo can literally be completely different multiple photos simply by changing a crop. And people tend to just, you know, I know people who won't change the default ratio or whatever the reasoning is. And literally by just changing a crop, you change the story. It's by, you know, if you choose an 85 1.2 versus a 200 versus a 10, you're changing the crop, right? And you understand very clearly that that changes the story that you're telling. But for some reason, when you're using a mouse, people lose that idea. And it's the same thing. Favorite band or performer? Oh, so many. Um, I guess it would depend on the genre. But the first one that comes to mind for me is the Foo Fighters. Oh, good. Fantastic Dave live, fun to, fun to photograph. Yeah. Favorite drink? Oh, tequila. Okay, which I was hoping you'd say that. Because on your about page, you mention sampling tequila. Do you have a favorite? Um, I actually have a tequila bar in my home. So um, with, with over 200 bottles on the wall. And so I've been to Mexico so many times and actually been to the town of tequila and been to distilleries. That's a whole nother podcast, Steve, but I've been fortunate to, to get to know some great people who have been in that world for 30 years. Um, there are so many great brands that are on the market today. Uh, not yep. the ones you'd expect. Um, but as far as uh, do I have a favorite, it depends on the expression because as you know, there's Blanca, Reposado, and Yeho, Extra and Yeho. Um, so that, again, is such a multi-tiered question. But I tend to like a really great Reposado. Okay. I'm probably the same. I I am a whiskey person. So I have 
about 180 bottles of whiskey, 180, 185 bottles of whiskey. And I do on my radio show every Sunday, I do a whiskey pick. Uh, yeah. I call it an adult beverage pick, KCAL on the rocks. Uh, it's an adult beverage pick. It's usually a whiskey on occasion, something else. And I actually picked a tequila one time that I love if you've never had it. Cascanus. Cascanus uh, has a number 10 still strength, still proof tequila that it's a Blanco, but it's 107 proof. And it's fantastic if you ever get the the uh, chance to try it. I have not only tried it, I'm very familiar with the distillery and it is a wonderful brand. It's a great brand. And, and that right high too. proof Blanco is fantastic. Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? Forrest Gump for me. I, you know, I feel like if I would have made my own movie it would have been a Forrest Gump kind of movie um because I feel like there you know the emotion and the, the the roller coaster ride in that film was if I made a movie that's how it would feel so final question is there I any have add, I have to add curb your enthusiasm to it oh yes I am a huge Larry David fan and there's not an episode where I don't laugh out loud. Um, big, big fan of that show. It's funny because, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, a huge Seinfeld fan. I photographed him. I have the book. I've got the box set, all of that stuff. A uh, huge Larry David fan. And yet, for some reason, we had not watched Curb. And we just started maybe a month before recording this. We are one episode away from finishing season three. And it's everything I want in a TV show. It's everything I love in Seinfeld plus no censorship. It's There's so much brilliance in that show. Um, love it. Last question. Is there any photographer out there today that you think more people should know about? There's several, but I'm going to say Ruben Afanador. Um Ruben is very well known in the fashion world, uh, but he's also a brilliant portrait photographer. And his his work is just so full of soul and beauty and composition. And there's there's not a ton of photographers that I am, am huge fans of because it's hard to stand up to Irving Penn and Richard Avedon. I mean, there's there's Certainly more than a handful that I like working today, but uh, Ruben's work for me is, it's otherworldly. It's so, so nice. So reminder to everybody, there's a small gallery of work that you can see at the website. All the links that we talk about are at the website behindtheshot.tv. And Paul, if people want to connect with you, I just had your website up for those of you that are watching on video. But for those on the audio feed, if people want to find you, what's your website? Um, it's Paul Mobley Studio, uh, pretty much across the board. I'm mostly an Instagram guy. That's where I put most of my focus and, you know, try to um, really keep keep track of, of the work, my regular work. But it's Paul Mobley Studio. Okay. PaulMobleyStudio.com, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, at Paul Mobley Studio. Twitter slash X, depending on how you want to call it. It's at Paul Shoots. 
And again, Paul, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate your time. Steve, I, I appreciate you getting the word out on photography and thank you so much for having me. It's always great to talk about the work. Again, if you like this show, if you're on YouTube, please head down, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, whatever you need to do. And if you want to find any past episodes or read the blog post that I wrote about Paul, head over to the website. It's behindtheshot.tv. If you want to follow me, my website, my portfolio is stevebrazel.com. It's like the country Brazil, but two L's. And of course, on socials, pretty much anywhere, Mastodon, Blue Sky, X, Instagram, it's at Steve Brazel. On Facebook, it's at Steve Brazel Photography or at Behind the Shot TV. But I'll be honest with you, don't message me on Facebook because I'm never there. I pretty much don't use Facebook anymore. Again, thank you to my guest, Paul Mobley. Join us next time as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot. <laughs>